Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortallaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, you can follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's a Friday, and, and let's first start with the exciting things for this Friday and for the weekend. It is a Friday spread brought to you by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. It is Mother's Day, so what better way to celebrate the weekend than with Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits? You can visit them over at 2390 North Alma School in Chandler. They have their uh, wine, craft beer, and amazing treats for your four-legged friends. Plus, here are the weekend specials. You have two 10-ounce ribeyes and two twice-baked potatoes at $3.99. You have a spatchcock-cut chickens at $2.99 a pound and 16-20-count cooked shrimp at $14.99 a pound. Of course, we will have the $100 gift certificate uh, available for you, but not quite yet. All right, so that's the fun and exciting part of the start of the show. Then we lead into the fact that uh, the Suns, the season, it's done. They lost 125 to 100 last night. Game six from Footprint Center. We'll get into plenty of that here in today's program. We'll take your calls as well. If you have something to say about it, 602-260-1060. We'll do that around 1030 and 1115. We'll also be joined by Doug Howler of The Athletic around 10. 15 to discuss the game, the sun season, and potential uh, things that are on the horizon moving forward. But as we typically do, let's set the scene with today's poll questions, and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Wow, this has changed immensely since we talked about it in uh, the 9 o'clock hour. So here's the question. Should the Suns break up the core following a second consecutive humiliating season-ending loss? Uh, when we did this in the 9 o'clock hour, Bob, Yes was leading by 100% of the vote. We now currently have no out in front at 64% of the vote. Yes trailing at 36%. Maybe my plea to hire Isaiah Thomas has had a reaction to the masses here. That's entirely. We don't want him around here. That's entirely possible. You've convinced some folks here. Uh, well, of course, you still have the opportunity to cast your vote throughout the show, and we will dive into that question in its entirety around 1130 today. Moving on over to Twitter, at KDOS AM 1060, there's still NBA playoff action underway. So who do you have? ATS tonight, the Lakers minus 2.5, Warriors plus 2.5. This one... This one hasn't changed off of what it was from earlier. Warriors still out in front at 100% of the vote. This is on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. Yeah, just to repeat from earlier, and I don't know if this was really talked about too much, certainly not in the Valley here because you know, a few other priorities going on as far as the Suns go. But you know, Davis expected to play tonight. Uh, the Lakers, uh, including their organization, actually publicly said yesterday he's not in concussion protocol. Uh, however, Andrew Wiggins may not play tonight, and he's got a rib cartilage issue uh, that he suffered at the end of that game the other night. And uh, 
that's a really big deal if he doesn't play. You know, is it kind of interesting? Because maybe we're just, and I don't want to say oversensitive, because I think that's really simplifying the uh, issue with head, concussion, et cetera. But are we just more in touch with it because of the NFL and everything that's been going on? That to me, it seems a little bit wild that Anthony Davis is not in the concussion protocol. There seems to be, I haven't heard anything this morning because obviously we've been getting ready for the show and I was pretty much all sons getting ready for the show here. But, yeah, I know it was mentioned yesterday that there seems to be some gray area, no pun intended. Uh, Just, you know, nobody seems to really know what the concussion protocol of the NBA is. I've heard two different things yesterday from two different folks or two different networks that I think are pretty good at what they do. Uh, So I'm completely confused, and I think a lot of people throughout the league are confused as to what actually the concussion protocol is. Well, we will answer the uh, ATS portion of that question around 1130 today on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. Let's dive into what took place last night here. The Phoenix Suns in an elimination game six at home to the Denver Nuggets lost 125 to 100. After we got off the air yesterday, it was announced that DeAndre Ayton was ruled out of the contest. So therefore, starting lineup changes. Also, Monty Williams made an additional change to that. It was Kevin Durant, Jock Landell, Campaign, Devin Booker, and Landry Shamit. In fact, Josh Okogie, who had been starting, didn't even play at all in this game. Uh, early... Good move. It's like two months too late. Uh, early on for the Nuggets, it was Catavius Caldwell-Pope. He ended up finishing 7 of 11 for 21 points. For the Suns, it was pretty clear that it was trying to get Kevin Durant going. He, though, was 0 for 4 in the first quarter with two points uh we had talked about this as well yesterday that you know the operating under the assumption that for the suns the stars devin booker kevin durant were going to have to be special yet again so the question is who in a role capacity is going to be the player to step up you know we threw out a bunch of different names and this time it ended up being campaign uh he was the spark plug that the team needed he stepped up uh scoring 12 of 16 7 of 9 from 3 31 points but in the end, 31 points has to be contributions. It can't be leading the team. If he's leading the team in scoring, whether it's a preseason game in October or a postseason game in May, they're going to probably lose. Uh, you know, he had a few, he was good. He was really good, but nobody else was any good. You know, at one point, you, there wasn't even 16 minutes into the game. They're losing this game. Uh, by you know, uh, I got the score here, 54 to 33. At that point, uh, Duran and Booker were one for eight and two for eight combined. Game over. Even at that point, the 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 Nuggets didn't even have a turnover until two minutes to go in the first half of this game, and uh, the Suns just no resistance whatsoever. Uh, the fact that, you know, I don't think the, the Nuggets really cared if Payne scored. They definitely didn't care if Landell did anything. They weren't even guarding Landell. Uh, they just basically, uh, Jokic was playing free safety mm-hmm. for the most part. And, you know, they played passing lanes and got steals and turned turnovers into points. You mentioned Caldwell Pope. He was unbelievable in the first half. The majority of that was because Devin Booker was trying to guard him, and they just attacked Booker. And, you know, the, the, we mentioned how they changed their defensive plan. 
in the game game five is they picked up the you know, Booker in the backcourt and made him work more, and they they also did that and then attacked him at the defensive end in this game. Yeah, to your point here, the Suns' defense, obviously, in the first quarter, the Nuggets going out, setting the tone with 44 points. They contributed 37 in the second. Just really easy buckets. I think you hit it hit it on the head there. No resistance, not rotating, just tons of confusion, hands up a lot, being like, hey, uh, I thought you were supposed to be there. That's not what you expect in an elimination game six, for sure. Uh, but... You mentioned Devin Booker there, and I did wonder throughout the contest here, uh, and we're at, we're not going to know unless unless he meets the media today and and addresses the situation. But was that foot slash ankle injury much more of a concern, much more of a factor uh, than we realized that he let on? Uh, he doesn't want to make excuses, etc. But uh, just you know, we didn't see him have the ball in his hands as much as well. He wasn't as springy, uh, wasn't as explosive off the bounce so certainly there was a lot different about Devin Booker's game in game six than we had seen uh in the first four games and in the first quarter of game five well it would be nice if he actually you know addressed the media after the game he would, could have been asked and answered these questions but you know as uh the fran- you know, face of the franchise and so-called leader of the franchise he should be addressing the media and when things go poorly uh, and unless there was, you know, he was receiving treatment or, we, you know, some kind of family emergency and there's no evidence that either of those things were happening, there is zero excuse and a complete lack of professionalism of him not being the media after the game. You know, there's not a lot to really dissect from this particular game, a lot to take away from it. So uh, I was going to focus here on what some of the people did say post-game that did meet the media, and that was, well, of course, Monty Williams, head coach there. Uh, one of his quotes here, it was pretty much the whole game, 81 points in the first half, was deflating to see them score like that, running down the floor, getting easy buckets. That falls on my shoulders, not having us ready to play at the highest level in the biggest game of the year, bottom line. To your point, that's just not who we are and who we've been so my first reaction to this is is that there really isn't anything else he could have said here he has to fall on the sword he has to say that it's it's his fault uh that the team wasn't ready to go but this is exactly what happened in an elimination game last year where they were blown out of their building well i think i have a pretty you know solid consistent viewpoint on this thing whether it's the Suns the last two years or any athletes who don't mentally show up uh, and physically play games. And uh, to me, this is all on the players. I mean, all on the players. And like I said, I've been, you know, pretty much this has been my stand on this for 30, 40, 50 years, a long time. Also, I think there was a play early in this game last night within the first five minutes. There was a loose ball situation. There were four Suns in position to get the ball in Nikola Jokic. Guess who got the ball? Nikola Jokic easily got the ball, and he scored. To me, the game was over at that point, and that was less than five minutes into the game. So to your point here, um, 
you know, getting ready to get up for this particular game, to come out with that, I'm going to punch you in the mouth uh, and and show you that this is our our home court. That comes from the players. So the question here is, though, does new ownership also agree with that particular stance that there wasn't more that Monty Williams could do? And then you also have to broaden that into uh, seeing how things unfolded in terms of rotations. How much do you put on him, though, because the, the roster construction the way that it was we don't know it seems like Matt Ishbia total wild card right we don't have any sort of precedent to see how he would right. do anything also Monty Williams isn't his hire James Jones isn't his hire so there seems to be a lot of unknowns heading into this offseason from a coaching staff perspective hopefully he just doesn't ask Isaiah Thomas what to do and Isaiah Thomas will be running the Suns next year when it comes, though, to those uh, in-season moves, of course, Cam Johnson, Mikael Bridges off to Brooklyn, Kevin Durant into Phoenix. He struggled in this series, 45.3% from the floor, 22.2% from three. He averaged 29.5 points per game, 9.7 rebounds, five assists. Here is what something he said after the game. Just didn't make shots. It is all on me, to be honest. I feel like I prepared the right way. I took the shots I want to take. Sometimes I probably rushed a lot of our looks, just playoffs trying to figure it out. At the end of the day, it is always going to fall back on me. I watch film throughout the summer, watch different actions that have been presented throughout the year, and just see how I can keep improving. I think for me... Kevin Durant's lack of efficiency was one of the most shocking things in this playoff series. That, uh, in a way, the way that this roster unfolded, this team had to be perfect to win games. And that was doable with Booker and with Durant and their capabilities. But the shots just never fell for Kevin Durant. And I think he kind of hit it on the head that his shots seemed rushed. He didn't seem to be ever in rhythm like when he debuted with the Suns. It was just so pure, so effortless. Uh, he was taking his time to make sure that he was you know, in position to make the shot. And that just never came uh, apparent in this playoff series. I agree with all of that. I'll add to that. He had four more turnovers in every game in this series, but one, it seemed like that damn near every one of those was live ball turnovers, which the Nuggets converted into baskets at the other end of the floor. I will say this here, that it's easy to, you know, just have this sense of feeling about how game six went, that it was never a contest from the start, a 25 point loss. You want something better. You have high expectations. Uh, I think in general that this um, there's so much loyalty to the Phoenix Suns and desperation for wanting a championship here. And I I, kind of want to you know, have words to be able to put into perspective what it is that we saw in this playoff series. But I just can't get to the level of, uh, I guess, like anger and just eviscerating what I saw because I feel like they weren't really put in a position to succeed. When you look kind of look down the, the the bench here with some of the the, the roster players and you know, how some of the players that were starting aren't starting caliber players, bench players, role players, etc. I think in the end, you're going to have to look at things and how to tweak it to get better and changes are on the way, but I'm not sure I can come out and just be overly angry about anything. I understand that thought process for sure. I want to say one other quick thing about Durant. He did meet with the media after the game for approximately 10 minutes 
answered some pretty stupid questions from a couple of the media members uh, and softball questions for the most of the local media members. Uh, so you know, good for him to do that. And uh, I admired him for doing that, unlike Devin Booker. We will get more into the Phoenix Suns. Uh, Doug Howler of The Athletic, he was there last night. He's been covering the team here for the last several months. We'll get his perspective on the Suns and and what to expect moving forward. As we mentioned, uh, a lot of wild cards ahead just because of new ownership and they didn't hire these players. They He came in and made a splash, though, with the Kevin Durant trade. Didn't have the success that everyone was hoping for. So what direction do they turn? We'll dive into much more about the Phoenix Suns with Doug Howler from The Athletic on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app, powered by Superbook Sports. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you. Tune in weekdays to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp from 9 to 10 a.m. on KTUS AM 1060, KTUS1060.com, and with the KTUS 1060 app. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. The Suns fell to the Nuggets last night, 125 to 100, effectively ending their season. For some perspective and maybe some future the Suns conversation as well, we pop on out to the KDOS hotline joined by Doug Howler with The Athletic. Doug, it's Bob and Kayla. How are you on this morning? Good morning. Um, I'm, I'm good. I'm a little stunned by the way last night unfolded. Not that the Suns lost, but certainly how you described them as falling. I mean, it was it, it was a free fall for sure. Just just with how they played yet another elimination game. Yeah, along those lines here, uh, the Nuggets did top the Suns 125 to 100 in Game Six in Phoenix last night. The Nuggets set the tone with 44 points in the first quarter, 81 points for the half. How do we categorize this? The Suns overmatched, the Suns quit, the Suns fatigue finally caught up. How did you kind of see game six? I thought I think it's a combination of all of that. Um, you know, I, the Suns, after they made the trade for Kevin Durant, um, you know, I think there were some things that were maybe overshadowed a bit, uh, particularly during the regular season and the eight games he played. Um, even during the first round uh, win in five games against the Clippers, just the failure to kind of put them put the Clippers away, a shorthanded Clippers team, and get those guys some rest. So going into the Denver series, I thought Denver was the better team. But, you know, just the reliance on, on Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, you had a feeling that, um, you know, those guys are good enough. They could certainly take a team a long way. But the supporting cast uh, just at the beginning of the series was questionable. And then they lost Kevin Durant, or then they lost Chris Paul to an injury. Then DeAndre Aiden didn't play. Um, but at the same time, I don't know if that's an excuse for to come out and to be down at 30 points at halftime. Um, you know, that's kind of a, an organizational failure, I think, just uh, just not being ready to play in a game that means so much. In fact, you wrote that uh, this morning at The Athletic, it's an organizational trademark, at least published this morning. Uh, 
and said uh, also you wrote that it's the type of effort that will pr- uh, provoke uh, tough conversations in the offseason, possibly including whether the head coach is right for the job. Is the head coach right for the job? That's, you know, Monty Williams has done so much uh, in just getting Phoenix out of that drought that they were in um, and getting them to this point. At the same time, uh, you know, they have a new owner. And, you know, Matt Ishbia is a guy who came in and made a big splash in getting Kevin Durant. Um, you know, he has no ties to Monty Williams. They don't, go, they don't have a deep history. So I, I do think it's something that they need to explore. Uh, and, and for that matter, James Jones, too. I think he's in the same boat as well. Uh, just because of the newness of the new owner, a new owner comes in with new ideas. I don't, I don't know, Bob, if they will make a move there. Uh, Matt Ishbia doesn't seem to be a guy that – I mean, he at least has said that when he comes in, he's not going to make any quick decisions. But, you know, just the, with the way they flamed out and what they have invested in the team, uh, I think it's definitely something that, that deserves consideration. Whether or not money is the guy, I, I don't know. Uh, I can't answer that, but I do think it's something that just with the way they, they fizzled here in the series going forward, you have to explore it. Doug Howler with The Athletic here on KDUS AM 1060 in the extra point. So kind of along those lines, I mean, in the off season heading into this particular season, the bench wasn't really addressed. You had the decision to insert Cam Johnson into the starting lineup. So that took away a bench production scorer for you. That's just one example. Then, of course, the big splashy trade for Kevin Durant, which further depleted the team's depth. So is it possible that this disappointment that the fan base is feeling uh, is really kind of stemming from you just want the team to do really well but maybe there was this rosy picture painted that didn't really meet reality that the team as a whole wasn't set up for a championship run yeah yeah I think without question it's perfectly reasonable to go back and look at that trade and say was that the right choice um I think the the fact that you know if you can get someone of Kevin Durant's caliber um you make that deal I mean because it's so it it immediately elevates you to a championship contender. It didn't work out. But I think more than, than that is, you know, they had, you know, Monty Williams had about, I don't know, 15 games or so, 20 games when they got Kevin Durant uh, to kind of figure out his rotation, his bench, to work with the guys that he had. And he didn't really utilize that time very well. I mean, he experimented a lot uh, during those eight games. I mean, T.J. Warren and Terrence Ross were buried on the bench. Then all of a sudden they were playing. Uh, same with Damian Lee. Uh, you know, during that, those eight games, they had Josh Okogie in the starting lineup. Then a playoff start. Torrey Craig is in is in the starting five. Uh, you know, next round, you know, Torrey Craig hardly gets off the bench at all. It, it, I mean, he just didn't. You know, I think that when it comes to the playoffs, guys need to know what's expected of them when they're coming off the bench. I mean, when you, when you're in a playoff atmosphere and you haven't played in a couple games, and all of a sudden you're thrown in there, it takes a while to get used to the intensity, the physicality. And the rotation was a mess uh, throughout the playoff. I mean, he just did it by feel, and it just, it just was not an effective way to do it. Um, yeah, I mean, his hands were tied to a certain extent. Uh, you know, Denver had a better bench. The Clippers had a better bench. But I'm certain, I certainly think that they could have gotten more out of it than what they did. Durant shot 42% in this series. Um, also, he had four more turnovers in every game but one. Uh, you wrote uh, that uh, Durant instead looked too often like he was trying to find his place. How much of this is the fact that they didn't have time to play a lot of games together and so forth? How this? How much is Durant just wasn't good? Uh, all of it. 
it's hard to say that a guy that I think he averaged close to 30 for the series wasn't good. But, Bob, I, I think it, it changed after game one when, uh, you know, Denver came out and beat them. And not only that, everyone wrote that the math didn't work, that Denver got up uh, 17 more shots, that they, you know, the, the, I, the differential from, in three-point production was enormous. And from there, there was an emphasis on, you know, quick shots, you know, being aggressive. And I felt like what, what Kevin Durant did so well during the regular season uh, is, you know, he didn't force shots. You know, he wasn't like Devin Booker gets into a habit of trying to draw contact and getting to the foul line, which works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. Kevin Durant didn't do that. I mean, every shot he took almost during the regular season, and I'm not exaggerating, almost every shot he took was makeable. <laughs> I mean, that, uh, and then in game two, you know, I noticed he came out and he was forcing shots. Now, did he need to force it a little bit? Maybe. But he, he just looked outside of his comfort zone, I felt, from games uh, two through six. And that's an odd thing to say for one of the great shot makers the game has seen. But he, to me, after, after game one, he never looked comfortable. And if you look at his shooting numbers, that, I mean, <laughs> it supports it. I mean, he, I don't think he shot better than 50% uh, the rest of the way. And this is a guy that shot, you know, better than 50% for his entire career. Um, you know, he just didn't look comfortable. And part of that was kind of playing off Devin Booker, who had elevated his game. But it just didn't seem like, you know, they kind of had a, a thing of like, we'll figure it out. You go, I go. And I think Chris Paul had a lot to do with that, managing things when he was out on the court. And then when he went out, um, they just they just lost a lot of organization. They looked, they looked disorganized, I thought, for most of the series. Doug Haller with The Athletic here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra point. So a lot of this conversation really feels like we're at a crossroads and maybe a lot of it we really just don't know because you mentioned new owner uh, Matt Ishbia. We're not really certain kind of what he wants to do or what stamp he wants to put on things. Uh, With that said, though, DeAndre Ayton, he obviously gets a lot of flack from Suns fans. He didn't play in game six here. Um, Is he on the roster next year for the Suns? Is he part of that crossroad process if i had to say right now i would say i would guess no that he will not be on the roster um i will also say that if someone had told me that the suns are going to lose this series in six games before the before game one i would have i would have told you that deandre aiden will be blamed (laughs) because that is just how the nature of deandre aiden um and i think a lot of it goes back to him being the number one pick of the draft i think a lot of it goes to uh, the fact that he's athletic and seven foot tall and he has a decent shooting touch. But I think a lot of it goes to, you know, you just don't know what you're going to get from him every game. Uh, I think DeAndre Ayton thinks he's playing hard. In fact, I know he, 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 know, he thinks he's playing hard. And it doesn't always uh, look that way. Um, you know, they, what you have is you have a, a situation where you have a, a center making 30, set to make $30 million a year, a max player. And, the Suns don't use him in a max way anyway. Um, you know, with, with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker probing, you know, they don't need a max player at that position anymore. Um, you know, DeAndre could have made, it, made this decision a lot better for him. Uh, you know, if he was a guy that even though he wasn't getting a lot of looks in the offense, that he was grabbing 15 to 18 rebounds every night. He wasn't. A lot of that had to do with Denver and particularly Jokic. But, um, you know, he didn't help himself. And I just don't see – you know, if they can find some way to, to deal him, uh, they could probably find someone who can who can put up his who can match his production at a much cheaper price. What should we make about Booker not addressing the media after the game last night? Uh, it's not a good look for him. Obviously, um, 
know, it, you know, Devin is so driven, and I've asked him uh, during my time covering the Suns just these last few months, uh, different ways all the time, and he always just kind of gives me the same look. Is you know, it all has to do with you know where his motivation and. Uh, you know, the genesis of him becoming who he is. And, you know, it's not like there was a starting point just a couple years ago or even when he was uh, in his second year or whatever. He's always, he's always seen him getting to this point. Um, so I understand uh, him blowing off, and I think he probably deserves a, a pass because he's been so good. He's been available um, just about every time, that, or every time that I've been around the Suns. Uh, so I think he deserves a pass, but at the same time, you know, I mean, there was some talk about whether, you know, he, he was 100% with a foot injury. I think if you're out there, you need to be judged on what you're doing on the court. Uh, but, you know, his minutes were, were the storyline throughout the playoffs, playing so much, and I think that caught up to him. But, you know, I, I don't blame him. Uh, I don't fault him, I guess, for blowing off the media. It is his job. It is his responsibility as a leader of the team and face of the organization. But I think he probably deserves a pass. Along those lines with Devin Booker, he didn't have a good game six. You mentioned uh, the foot ankle injury from game five. Don't know how much that was really impacting him. But what he had done in the Clippers series and previously in the Nuggets series here, how would you categorize him putting this team on his back like he did? And and should he be considered one of the best sons in a son's uniform during the playoffs? Without question, um, you know, he- there, there's always two different kind of opinions on, on Devin Booker. There's one locally, uh, the people who have seen him since his, his rookie season and have watched him develop in the NBA. And then there's, you know, the national viewpoint, which kind of has always looked at him as a guy who is, you know, patted his stats on bad teams and, you know, maybe is, you know, maybe a top 15, top 20 player. I think he erased all that. Uh, I think for a good portion of the postseason, really up until game five, he was the best player in the playoffs. Um, you know, I think he's elevated himself to superstar status. Um, you know, and it was interesting because everyone kind of figured, you know, there was so much attention on, on Kevin Durant that everyone kind of, you know, looked at Kevin Durant as 1A and Devin as 1B, and it was actually the opposite. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Devin is has positioned himself well. Um, you know, the fact that – <laughs> it ended it way he had his worst game of the series. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think anyone knows for sure. Even Monty Williams said he didn't know. I don't know if he's, if he was telling the truth about how much he was, how, how much soreness he was playing through. But I, I do think it had to do with the minutes. Um, Devin said throughout the series. I asked him after Game Five in Denver if the workload was catching up to him. He just looked at me and said no. Uh, but you know, if you look at just the entire time and the play, the grind of the playoffs and when it becomes. You know, every other night, and you know, you get, the series lasts the six games, and then there's another series. I just think that that has to play an effect on someone who uh, is relied upon so much. Last up for me, uh, you know, Chris Paul. Will he return next season? As you wrote, Paul's contract not fully guaranteed. Yeah, I would lean toward no, Bob. I mean, there's they would have to pay fifteen million dollars to pay uh, to pay him off for him to leave. That's the buyout there. Uh, but, you know, Chris, I thought uh, last season still had star moments. Um, and, you know, we saw that at certain times in the playoffs, despite, you know, his, his injury history. Uh, this year, I felt like there was a significant decline. I, I think there was part of an organizational um, plan to kind of get him as, as much rest as possible during the regular season. Um, I think that that was reflected in some of the, you know, the games that he played. Uh, or did not play, 
But, you know, I just felt like there was a huge decline from age 37 or from last year to this year. He just turned 38 next year. He's going to be playing. And, you know, I think it's reasonable to expect, you know, another, you know, drop in his production. Um, I think he, he's, he has great value when he's out there. He's a presence. I think the Suns missed him tremendously the series when he was out. But I just don't know if it makes much sense to bring back uh, a point guard at, a 30, at that age with a $30 million price tag. Doug, we greatly appreciate you making some accommodations for us this morning, and we look forward to catching up with you down the road here about the Suns and much more happening around the Valley. All right. Well, I appreciate uh, you guys having me, and I enjoy talking to you guys. Once again, he is Doug Howler there with The Athletic. Some interesting points there from Doug. Uh, certainly there are plenty of decisions ahead, and I'm sure the rumor mill is going to be out of control here with you know trade rumors for Chris Paul, where he could be ended up uh, if they're able to trade DeAndre Ayton and just kind of overall how to rebuild. Uh, you know, As you pointed out, the Nuggets have those bench pieces, those key players that found ways to come in and step up, be able to have those kind of players on this Suns team. Need some complimentary guys coming off the bench that play roles. And uh, I wish I had a list of those guys, but I don't. But I'll try to work on that over the weekend. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to voice your opinion about the Suns, Diamondbacks, uh, NFL schedule, you name it. 602-260-1060 is the number. We'll take your call now and get to you on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point on this Friday, May 12th, right here on KDOS AM 1060. We'll do what's best for the team, and we'll do what's best for you. The Rich Eisen Show, coming to you weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Here on KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com. Ten forty-three here on KDOS AM ten sixty. As always, online at KDOS ten sixty dot com, and with the KDOS ten sixty app, powered by SuperBook Sports. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortellaro, with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Let's continue the NBA playoffs conversation, but we'll t- we'll take a step aside from the Suns portion of it and go over into the Eastern Conference, in which the Celtics avoided elimination by beating the 76ers 95-86 to last night. It was another incredibly slow start for Jason Tatum. Uh, certainly this has been plaguing him throughout this series, but when the Celtics needed that lift in that fourth quarter, he was the guy. He ended up 5 of 21, 4 of 11 from 3, 19 points, but three critical threes there in that fourth quarter and late in the fourth quarter to propel the Celtics on top. It was a poor shooting night all around, though, uh, statistically here. Joel Embiid, 9 of 19, 26 points. James Harden, 4 of 16, 0 of 6 from 3 and 13 points. The Celtics, though, uh, they were certainly feasting on the glass once again. 50 rebounds to 38. And now at this point, with this series all tied up going back to Boston, I know that Boston has certainly struggled against the 76ers in this series in their building, but uh, this certainly changes things a little bit now that there's a, a game seven back home in Boston. Yeah, other than the fourth quarter, which I'll get to in a second, I think the biggest thing about this game is we've been, I talked about this on Wednesday and Thursday that when is Joe Mazzulla going to go big and put Robert Williams into the game? He started the game. He made a huge difference in this game. 
Uh, so I think that that was a, you know, finally a you know, coaching adjustment for Missoula, who had been horrendous in this series in pretty much every facet uh, before last night. Yeah, I also will throw in a little – Tatum actually played a really good game other than the shooting before he went wild in the fourth quarter. Uh, yeah, he had a bunch of rebounds, assists, played really good defense, uh, but missed 14 of his first 15 shots. Uh, then he made three, the big, three big threes and really ignited the 14-to-1 scoring run in the fourth quarter. He ended up with, I believe, it was 15 or 16 in the fourth quarter – uh, they led the, the Sixers still led 83-81 with three uh, with excuse me 5:25 to go uh, before Tatum went crazy. Also, the Sixers were just atrocious in the fourth quarter. Um, some horrendous shot selection, including by James Harden, uh, and not getting the ball to in beat enough. More on him in a moment. Uh, but the, the Sixers in the fourth quarter scored 13 total points. It's a 12-minute quarter, folks. They got 13 points. They missed 15 of 20 shots. Then after the game, Embiid basically threw his teammates and his head coach under the bus. Uh, yeah, that's that's a great start, right? Uh, games yeah, said that he didn't get the ball. That, that's complete crap. He got the ball in the last five minutes of the game, but he said he didn't. Uh, game seven now, though, is Sunday. The 76ers plus seven, Celtics minus seven. Now, okay, this is another topic of conversation when it comes to Doc Rivers and his coaching and, and what things have been like in the 76ers organization. And it felt like they themselves were in a precarious situation for their own team and whether or not they were going to be able to finally get to the Eastern Conference Finals. So if they blow this lead that they had over the Celtics, does that change kind of just what we thought about this team as of just yesterday not really because i didn't think they were going to win last night um but and i i'm not bought into the sixers at all i will say it's not just the celtics in this series at home they didn't play well at home against the hawks in the first round either uh so i don't think it's any guarantee that they're going to win the game on sunday in fact, I would lean towards taking the Celtics plus, excuse me, the Sixers plus the points in that game. They also, they showed a thing on NBA TV yesterday afternoon. You know, all these, you know, Doc Rivers, you know, late series and all these game seven losses and collapses. He's almost never been favored to win any of those games, by the way, which nobody ever brings up. Uh, once again, Game 7 is now Sunday. So when you look at what's going on for tonight, you have the Knicks at the Heat. The Heat hold the 3-2 series lead and can close it out once again. The Knicks plus 6, Heat minus 6, 4.30 p.m. I guess the question here is, can Jalen Brunson and Quentin Grimes really be that good once again? Uh, because the Knicks certainly need it. Well, can they play 48 minutes again? <laughs> um, I'm rooting for the Heat. I usually don't openly root for teams, quite frankly, but I'm just sick of watching the Knicks. I, I'm done with the Knicks. I want them to lose tonight. I want to never see them again, ever, let alone this season. Uh, the Heat, though, they certainly found offense here in these playoffs and finding their ability to hit threes as well. I know Jimmy Butler, he hasn't been – spectacular since that ankle injury so just as time keeps going on you know is that ankle going to get a little bit better for him so that we can see kind of Jimmy Butler back to being Jimmy Butler and some of the role guys uh, getting back into more of their uh, their I guess contributions on the court 
he's been Jimmy Butler in this series. Uh, you know, obviously got hurt in the first game, and you know, Spolster basically changed their entire offense. Uh, and they won that first game after he went down with the ankle injury with like roughly five minutes to go in the game. You know, they changed the offense to basically go through, you know, Lowry and also, you know, Bam Adebayo. Uh, but, you know, but Butler was really good uh, in, the, uh, in the in their two games in Miami that they won. Uh, he wasn't particularly good the other night. He set his own standard here, though. I mean, particularly good for, you know, for you know, somebody else is you know, different than what's particularly good for Jimmy Butler. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But Eric Spolster is just such a good coach. Uh, and they are so, you know, you know, not to be really redundant here, but they're so well coached. They, they, it's incredible that they just know what to do. They make the right basketball plays and they play their asses off. Uh, we are not going to ignore the Lakers and the Warriors game, but we'll get that to that as part of our Twitter poll question at KDOS AM 1060 around 1130. So you can answer it then. Uh, cast your vote and we'll talk about it around 1130. But don't forget about Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits, 2390 North Alma School in Chandler. They have the Mother's Day special, which includes two 10-ounce ribeyes and two twice-baked potatoes at 399 Spatcock cut chickens at 2.99 a pound and the 16.20 count cooked shrimp at 14.99 a pound. We still have the $100 gift certificate available for you as part of Friday spread brought to you by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits, but not quite yet. We'll have uh, the final segment of hour number 1 coming up on the other side of the break. It is the extra point. Now time in your afternoon for the Doug Gottlieb Show, right here on KDUS AM 1060, 100.7 HD2, and KDUS1060.com. Weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. up hour number one on this Friday, May 12th edition of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Make sure you're downloading the KDOS uh, 1060 app, registering and taking advantage of the listener rewards. Something tells me as well that starting next week there's going to be another uh, uh, promotion there from Superbook Sports. So you want to make sure you're ready to go for that next week. Get some inside info there? There is some inside information. Yes, yes, okay. I, I do have insider that. Insider trading or whatever is supposed to be. Oh, no, 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 no. Not insider trading. No, no, no. Okay. Just uh, insider. Well, you can do that too. <laughs> uh, I don't need the, the feds after me, okay? <laughs> uh, when it comes. Oh, Better you than me. Oh, thank, gee, thanks. Uh, when it comes to the PGA Tour, though, the AT&T Byron Nelson, uh, uh, we had mentioned how this event is going to be low scoring, or uh, yeah, low scoring. And certainly, when we talk about things for the PGA Tour, the top of the board, that's what keeps hitting. Well, Scotty Scheffler was the odds-on favorite after Jordan Spieth had withdrawn. We saw his odds go as low to like plus three fifty to win this entire golf tournament. Well, well, so far, Scotty Scheffler has not disappointed. Back-to-back 64s. He's out in front right now at 14 under par. He's done for the day. In a tie for second, you have 
Ryan Palmer, uh, who shot 64-65. Sunil No, who shot 60 and was on a 59 watch yesterday. He's two under par in his round today through three holes. So uh, still plenty of golf left to go for Sunil No today. When it comes to our guys here, Eric Cole, he had a good day today. Three under par, eight under for the tournament. That's good enough for tied for eighth right now. Uh, Matt Kuchar, he shot... Four under par yesterday, hanging in there. He has yet to tee off today. But here's the thing. I had said, you know, when we had talked about Matt Kuchar in his round yesterday, I think he was in a tie for 18th, and I was like, that's not going to hold. That's going to fall. Uh, it did. It was closer to tied for 23rd or so by the day's end. Right now, though, he's going to have to go out and play well this afternoon because the projected cut line right now, four under par. I don't think it's staying at four under par either. I think it's going uh, five, six under par as well because this this golf course is just fire at flags, make birdies. You know, it's interesting, Bob, because I don't know if like if this is a course that you want to play to get yourself prepped and ready to go for a major championship the following mm-hmm. week. Because there's, mm-hmm. I guess, a couple of areas of thought here is that this course is not hard so if there's something that you're working on game wise maybe it's a great place to try it out under the gun uh but it's not going to beat you up and mentally tax you ahead of the week of the tournament but if it's kind of just really easy um are you sure that that's kind of the preparation that you want ahead of a major championship so i guess there's probably two schools of thought there uh but that's what's going on at the at&t byron nelson we have nfl schedule we have diamondbacks major league baseball and of course more about the phoenix suns and the nba playoffs in our number two and that 100 dollars gift certificate to von hansen's meats and spirits still on the line our number two of the extra point with bob camp kayla mortellaro coming up next <laughs> 